0: Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the No BS Zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple. Help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, ready to change your life. Hi, everybody. Dean Crisp uh, back in the studio this week, joined by Chief Deputy Herbert Blake. He's going to be checking on with us in just a minute. But before we get started, I want to thank all of you for subscribing to our podcast. Our numbers are picking up every week. We really appreciate that. The only reason that happens is because you pass it on to someone else. You tell someone about the podcast and how it's helped you. We've been doing a series of podcasts, did a couple of the last couple of weeks. We were talking about organizational behaviors and personal behaviors. Hope you enjoyed those. And so I really appreciate you joining the podcast. And we've been doing some exciting things in the classroom, too. Just got back from Palm Beach, Florida. Also got back from Nashville, Tennessee. Getting ready to head up to Portland, Maine and that area uh, next week. So, uh, So glad to get out there and see most of you on the road. And I really appreciate you attending our classes. Uh, reading the book, Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line. And I want to thank everyone for just helping us help you. But also, you listening to us just absolutely encourages us to keep going and moving forward. We couldn't do it without you. The goal of our podcast is really simple, to add value to your life every single day as you listen to our podcast, give you something to think about, take that mindset of yours to a different direction, help you become the best pers- person you can be, and also to get ahead of your day every single day. So thank you for joining us on the podcast, and I appreciate it. Now, Herbert, man, what a pleasure to have you on. It's taken me a little while to reconnect and get back with you. You know, you've been like a moving target lately. You've been moving around, and you just left the chief of police in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and moved over to the chief deputy in Buncombe County. Herbert, glad to have you
1: thank you very much for having me and good morning it's a pleasure to be on your podcast
0: well you know i knew you did a podcast yourself as the police chief in hendersonville so we may talk a little bit about that and talk about some of the stuff that you talked about there but herbert and i met a long number of years ago he and i were actually police chiefs together in south carolina and we got an opportunity to meet there and uh Herbert and I work out in the same gym, or, or and uh, we go to Planet Fitness. I see him there on the weekends, and so uh, we get a chance to talk. And I just invited him on the show. He just got a lot of ad, and he's got a lot going on. I think he supervises about 400, 500 folks now in Buncombe County. He's the chief deputy there. He also helps run the jail. They got all full operations. Uh, some agencies around the country, sheriff agencies or offices. Don't have the full service, but they do the whole thing in Buncombe County. Herbert, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you again. And
1: I want to say this before I say anything about me. I know how hard it is to do a podcast and to do one on a weekly basis. Says a lot about you and your commitment to making things better in law enforcement leadership. So I do appreciate that. And, and these podcasts do bring value to people. So... Hats off to you for the time and effort that you put in to do a weekly podcast. I did one on a monthly basis. It lasted roughly five or six minutes and it took a lot of me just to get a monthly podcast for five or six minutes out and feel comfortable with that. So what you're doing says a lot about your commitment to making law enforcement better. And I'm sure, like me, there are a lot of people out here who really appreciate this. So about me, I've been in law enforcement now, I look up and all of a sudden, 25 years. And I first met you at a management seminar that you were doing for Greenville Technical College. And I'll never forget the first advice you gave me. You asked a question and I gave an answer and I didn't give a favorable answer to the current agency I was with. And you said, be careful that could beat you back to your agency. I'm not so sure it didn't beat me back there, to be honest with you, (laughs) uh, because other people were in class. So that is one of the first leadership lessons I learned from you as a young person trying to get into law enforcement leadership is to be very careful what you say, to be an ambassador for your agency and know when to air your grievances. So I learned that and I'll never forget that. Uh, That was at Greenville Technical College. But a little bit about me, I started as a reserve deputy sheriff while still in the Navy. I came on as a police officer once I retired with a small department in Ridgeland, South Carolina. We had seven officers. I left there in two years to become a lieutenant at the Jasper County Sheriff's Office in Ridgeland. That agency had roughly 30 people. I stayed there for four years, and I got my first chief's job in another small city, Loras, South Carolina, population 2,400, a staff of 14, 15 people at the time. I stayed there for seven years and became the police chief in Hendersonville, and and I just thought I hit paradise when I became the chief in Hendersonville, and I and I did. A very nice city, and I learned actually to lead and manage, and to become a professional on Hendersonville. I stayed there for roughly 13 years, and for the past 14 months, I've been the chief deputy at the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office. So I jumped from about 50 people to 423 when fully staffed, working for an elected sheriff. And I'm telling you, this is this has been a great move for me, and I believe it's it's. It's added value to Buncombe County, to the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office, and to the staff that I am privileged to help lead and manage under Sheriff Clinton Miller.
0: Well, you know, I I really appreciate what you said about the Greenville Tech comment. I can remember we kind of laughed about that. You know, at the time we were like, you know, you got you got to be you got to be careful with that. But that was a long time ago. Herb. my goodness, I didn't know your memory was that good. Man, that's about God. That's in the nineties back in in them days back there. So. Well, I appreciate that, and I want to thank the staff here for us in terms of, you mentioned something about on a weekly basis doing podcasts, no way I could do it without them. They are constantly pushing me to get ready and to push content, and when you're on the road all the time and you teach and you do live seminars, it's really hard to do that, but hey, I could not do it without Kelly uh, pushing me to make sure that that gets done, and uh, you know, I, I could not, not do it without them and the staff and McKenzie has been great in the last couple of months that she's been on. So I want to give them all the credit. One thing I've always been impressed about you, Herbert, and, and this is one of the reasons I, I, I just love having you on the show is not only do you push yourself professionally, you also have a bachelor's degree and also a master's degree. You've attended Northwestern. And the one thing that a lot of people do in leadership, and I see this as I go across this great country is they, sometimes settle and they get too busy to really work on being good, but you've not done that. You've kept pushing the limits of your leadership. And I really admire that, that as you progress forward, you know, you, you get to a certain level, then you find another, you know, place to go with your leadership. I really admire that about you. And I think that's, that's pretty awesome that you've done that. And and I know the folks there are fortunate enough to have you at Buncombe County. They're going to really enjoy working with you there. So Herbert, how, how, has, how have you seen leadership change over the last number of years? Because you've been right in the middle of it, and you've been right in the middle of law enforcement leadership, and you're, you're, you're right knee-deep in it. How are you seeing some of the changes? One of the things I've
1: noticed, Dean, is we, we still have a mindset from some of the old guard, old school guys, my way of the highway, the top-down type of leadership, that has to change. And and I believe the 21st century leaders are actually embracing having input from others, listening to your people, getting to know your people. It is very hard to lead people if you don't know them. And we are are blessed now in 2021, 2020, even 10 years ago, with some of the smartest and most educated people in law enforcement that law law enforcement has ever seen. And we have to treat them as such, and that is not always done. So I think you have to value people, and you have to have people, insights, and input As you move forward with whatever you want to do in law enforcement, and I still see too many people that they'll circle themselves with a bunch of yes people, and they don't want insight and input from other people. I try to value folks the minute they walk into the door, because I believe they bring something to the table and the old, well, you've not been here long enough to have any say or any input. Uh, that's the old way of thinking, and I I just think you have to do better than that with the the talent that you're trying to get and and keep in law enforcement in 2021.
0: You know, you know, Herbert, you you use a word that is just we don't use it in law enforcement. Talent. We we talk about recruits. We talk about rookies. We talk about people coming in. And, and I do think that that's a very valid observation and, and you unwrapped a lot there. You know, you talked about collaborative kind of leadership where you actually have to value the people and you, and you really have to make sure they understand how important they are and you got to listen to them. And, and that is like, it is so hard to do sometimes because law enforcement comes from the position of authority anyway, it's like, we are the ones who make the decisions. We're the ones who ha- are the authority. As a matter of fact, we're re- referred to a lot of times as the authorities, if you will. And, and that's hard. We, we really don't teach people how to lead nor to how to even communicate from those positions. Would you agree? I would agree
1: 100%. And that the paramilitary presence that we have does not help to that. And that's why I think we, not just in organizations, but even in basic law enforcement training, we need to look at what we're doing, with recruits. We're treating them like they're at Paris Island or at Fort Jackson or Fort Leonard Wood when we need to be advocating that they be professionals, that they're servants and guardians and not warriors. And that's something I really think law enforcement struggles with simply because of the paramilitary In the control environment that we used to operate in. But I believe you get more out of people when you treat people like people and not like objects. And again, yeah, talent is very important. And I always consider myself someone who acquires talent and then try to develop those guys and gals into what they possibly uh, can become. So yeah, I, I think law enforcement has to, going forward, look at how we train people in basic law enforcement and then how we treat them once we get them in middle war.
0: Well, you, you know, uh, the, the training is about 95% warrior based or more, and it does create a mindset of that. And, and we all know that we have to do, we have to change. There's no doubt the the communities that we serve anymore don't embrace that warrior mindset of the cop anymore, although they know we need it, but they do want that person to be a community servant, no doubt about it. I mean, that is a great comment there regarding. Are you guys uh are y'all having trouble? And I know you guys run the jail up there too. Are are you seeing a real difficulty in the hiring and retention uh or the hiring of new cops? Do you are what what's it? What's the status in? in Asheville, North Carolina right now? In Asheville, North Carolina, at
1: the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office, we are not Dean. In fact, we have been able to cherry pick and hire experienced officers. In the 14 months that I've been here, we've not hired someone without significant experience in education. And I, I think it's just the environment as leaders, we we don't control morale, but we certainly have a say on the environment that people work in. And I, my hat's off to Sheriff Miller and to the other supervisors at the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office, but we are not hurting for people at all. We do have a few vacancies in enforcement. Now, detention's a little different because most of the time when folks take a job as a detention officer, it is their first foray into law enforcement and they may not know exactly what they're getting into. So the turnover in detention is higher than enforcement. But as far as enforcement goes, we have been able to hire experienced officers from other agencies, and I think that is a testament to the type of organization that we're trying to to run
0: at the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office. Yeah, and I do think that has helped y'all uh, quite a bit, and I think that the, and and I'm not, at, by no means uh, getting into the political commentary here at all, but if you don't know anything about Asheville, Asheville is a very uh, liberal city in terms of its leadership has a very kind of uh, would be referred to as being a liberal tinge to it or uh swayed liberal, whereas the county is more conservative. But they did have a major turnover in the police department because of some of those policies. And I'm sure you guys have benefited from that. I don't know if you've hired Asheville guys or gals or not, but, I, I, you know, Asheville went through this period of time there where they lost 91 officers in, and they only have 245, and they lost 91 officers in a period of a year uh, because of some of the things going on. I'm not offering any commentary on that. I'm only simply saying that's just the facts. And I know that uh, I saw downtown myself and I was so shocked to see this. The Greensboro Police Department actually put a billboard up on one of the major highways downtown Asheville that said we're hiring. And so I thought to myself, wow, that's a whole different mindset right there when an agency from about three hours down the road puts a billboard up and says, Hey, come to work for us. So I know uh, it's a little bit tenuous, the, the situation over there in Asheville, but so you guys have benefited. I'm saying, so you're able to hire experienced people. And I, I guess that's really helped y'all. Hadn't it moved you forward uh, hiring those experienced people?
1: Uh, yes, it has. Uh, we've been able to expedite our hiring process. We've been able to shorten our field training officer program because we are hiring people who know what they're doing. So they basically have to learn how we do things administratively. They have to learn the geography of the county. But uh, we, and, and not just Asheville, of course, we've hired people from Asheville, but also all the other municipalities in Western North Carolina have been basically feeding us very good applicants. And not to criticize any other municipality or county, but what it is, is Buncombe County is the seventh largest law enforcement agency countywide in the state. And Asheville and Buncombe County in the mountains in western North Carolina, they're beautiful. So all we have to do is not mess it up. And again, if as leaders, if we nurture an environment where people feel they can do their jobs, and that we're trying to look out for everybody, not just officers, but citizens as well, with some of the policies and practices that we implement, we feel that we're going to be okay as far as recruiting people, because people will come to places where they feel comfortable, and they can be themselves, and they feel that they're valued, and that's what we're trying to do at the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office.
0: Well, you know, Herbert, you just said something that I I absolutely love. You just said, all we got to do is not mess it up. I think that, you know, that is such a great comment for leaders. Uh, A lot of times as leaders, we can mess it up by stuff we try to do. And sometimes we got to keep it kind of simple. we got a lot of people who listen to us on the podcast who are either uh, thinking about promotions or they're thinking about their careers and, you know, what they're trying to do. So I'm going to ask you in a, Second, to kind of if you you were going for a promotion and you're a person who judges promotions and you are going to or you're going up for a chief job or whatever it is, what would be some of the advice to get someone really headed in that path or in that direction where they would want to go?
1: I think first and foremost, Dean, you have to be competent. You, You have to be competent and committed. But you also need to be a nice person. People like working around people who are nice people and understanding this business that you're not going to save the world on the next call. You take your call, you be nice to people, you get along with the people within the organization. That matters more than people think it does. All these certifications and all the other skill sets, that's great. But the higher you go in the organization, the more skill sets like communications, empathy, humility, trustworthiness, respecting everybody. Those things really do matter to people, especially as you get promoted to the executive level.
0: I mean, you know, I I can't agree more. And I do think that we're seeing a trend for executives, the higher they go to understand that component and emotional intelligence is one of those words that, those things that we always encourage to do. But, uh, you know, and I, I teach a lot in the classrooms and I talk to people that are in executive positions or that are aspiring to be in executive positions and playing off what you said. Uh, th- this is so true that I have seen across this country, but also that my, my experiences is that When you look at complaints on executives and you look at complaints on higher ranking people in the organization, almost to the person, 99% of those complaints are behavioral complaints based on not connecting to people or treating people rudely or not really being nice to people. I swear you hit it on the head when you said that, because when you see chiefs or other people get in trouble it's generally not an issue of competence but it's an issue of them not treating people the way they should treat people i think that that is such great advice there in terms of of doing that now what did you do to prepare yourself uh when you were moving up and uh you know when you were trying to become a chief and stuff like that what what did you do
1: one of the classes, a couple of classes I went to really played an important part. Uh, of course, yours was actually the, the course that you taught at Greenville Technical College was my first class that I went to as a civilian trying to improve my leadership. Obviously, in the military, there's a lot of leadership taught in the military, and I, I took the classes required of uh, I'm sorry, required of enlisted people to take to get to a certain level in the Navy. But you have to continue to learn and grow. You have to surround yourself with people who are going to be honest with you, people who care about you. And and that's what I did. I, I did go to some classes, some extended classes. The one in particular was the School of Executive Leadership in Dallas, Texas, and I also took a four-week course at Penn State University on-site called Polex and Polex Advance. Of course, I completed you, you guys' trilogy at the FBI LITA and, and a bunch of others uh, that I can't recall as we talk now. But you always have to be open to learning new things and you have to change. And, you know, we talk about how people are not Nice, sometimes they're rude, they're above people. Another thing that gets officers at our level in trouble is they refuse to change. They're paralyzed by their past, they're handcuffed to history, and they just refuse to evolve. And you have to do that. One of the things I did when I came to Hendersonville, and as little as it was, it was a big thing. I don't know what they're doing in Hendersonville now because I'm not there. I listened to the staff and asked them if you were the chief what are the one or two things that you would do or change immediately. And these are little silly things but they matter to people and one of them was they wanted to be able to wear the uniform that they wanted to wear regardless of the time of the year. So in other words don't make us wear a tie one October until 1 April. Because you know the weather can change and a tie all day in a 12 hour on a 12 hour shift can actually give you a headache. Uh, that was one of the things. I became a rock star when I said, OK, what would you want to wear? As long as you're on a proper uniform and you look presentable, that's fine with me. And then the other thing, believe it or not, was facial hair. They wanted to grow a beard or a goatee or a mustache as long as they kept it neatly trimmed. I said that was done, no problem. Little things like that actually matter to people. The job is tough enough, Dean. This is a tough profession. But unfortunately, the number one stressor in law enforcement is the agency. It's supervision. It's not the folks that we deal with on a daily basis on the outside.
0: That's an interesting comment, because I think that a a lot of agencies uh, don't really pay attention to those internal stressors that are going on. And one of the things that I have seen, and, and you just brought that up, that that we've got to stop doing as law enforcement leaders is we got to start paying attention to how people get things done, not just the fact that they get it done, but we got to pay attention to how people get things done. And if they're running over people and if they're not connecting with people and they're treating people badly, we got to pay attention because we're going to lose those people. You might get that one task done, but you've got to be able to pay attention to how people get things done. And the more you do that, the better you're going to be. I, I talk about a thing called uh, there's two games you play in every leadership role, and that's the long game or the short game. The short game is basically paying attention to what needs to be done at this second and not really caring the long range goals or the long range things that happen. That's that's very manipulative, if you will. But the long game is making sure that the people you're getting to do those jobs know how to do it later on. And they can learn how to do it, and they know themselves and become efficient. So the short game is you just get it done. The long game is helping people learn how to do it, so that you never have to work with them again on on getting those things done. They just do it. It's hard to do, and and you know it's it's interesting. You just made me think of something. John Maxwell said that leaders have to see more and before others, and that is such a true thing. And it made me think of something while you were talking is leaders and here here's something I want to say leaders are paid to see and predict the future that's what their job is that's what a leader is paid to do is to to see and to actually predict the future because if you don't do that then every single day is exactly like it was the day before and i think that's such an important point there you know i i really do and I, I think that's good advice that you just gave our audience and the people out there that's, that's listening to it. So let's say your first day on the job, right? And let, let's let's give some uh, folks some tips on some things you've learned in your transition. What would you tell someone, okay, this is my first day in front of my new coworkers, my new people I'm leading, the new people I'm trying to work with. What's What should that look like?
1: I think if you're taking a job as a chief, for example, or when I came to Buncombe County as the chief deputy, I spent a lot of time just trying to relate to people, just observing and and listening to people, a skill set that men, powerful men, don't always have. Uh, They are quick to tell you what they think, and we need to do a better job listening to people, and uh, that's what I did, and that's what I would advise the new chief for the new sheriff for the new executive to do relate observe listen and and you will learn so much because we do know this law enforcement is blessed with a lot of talented individuals and again if we just get out of their way and let them do their jobs uh, that's a part of not messing things up people know what you know and what you don't know and sometimes our biggest problems As leaders are, we don't know that the people know what we know and what we don't know. So just step aside and let them do their job. Uh, I don't have to show up at a crime scene. I'm not a crime scene investigator. If if there's a crisis team in my agency, I need to be front and center. Otherwise, or if we're pushing out some sort of new initiative, some feel good initiative, and I'm intimately involved, perhaps I need to be front and center. That's about ten percent of 100%, 90% of what leaders are responsible for can be accomplished by the people we lead if we'll just let them do their jobs. Let's take a short break
0: from the show, and we'll be right back.
2: Hey, Straight Talk listeners, this is Kelly Corvin, Director of Business Development here at LHLN, just wanting to highlight one of our signature courses, Intentional Leadership. Many of you have taken that class, but many of you have not, and I just wanted to let you know that it is two and a half days of action-packed, next-level leadership development. I don't care where you are on your journey. You can be starting out as a supervisor or at the executive level. You will learn the new way to lead in the 21st century from one of the top leadership influencers, Dean Crisp. Learn more about that class, where it's being hosted this year. Or request to host a class at www.lhln.org.
0: I mean, what great comments there. I, I think that is such great advice. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't know. That's just uh, step aside, let them do their job, and about uh, 10% be out front. I, I love that. Uh, that is just an excellent comment there. Herbert, you talked about something a little bit earlier, you talked about the value of finding people that uh, could help you or that mentor you and I'll use the word mentor there. And, and I like what you said, because I'll compare it to what John Maxwell says. John Maxwell says that you want to always hang out with people that are faster, smarter, stronger, bigger than you than because they'll help you. Can, can you speak to the importance of finding that mentor? Ken, Dean, and unfortunately, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm on the back nine of my life and perhaps my career as well. So some of the folks that have mentored me and have played a significant part in my development have, have passed on. I'm more of a mentor now. Uh, three officers at the Hendersonville Police Department during my 13-year tenure there became police chiefs in this area. Before I became Chief in Hendersonville, no one was ever hired from that agency to become a police chief. so what I've tried to do because my mentors are moving on to the other side is I've tried to be a mentor and if you're teaching it, you continue to learn it so I've always tried to be a teacher to the students when the students appear, and uh, that reaffirms some of the some of the things that I've learned in my life so for me now, yeah, mentoring is very important, but at some point, you become the mentor, and that is just as valuable to you, because you're reiterating some of the things that you have learned, so I, I think it's important to continue to, to try to weave your influence through others by helping others achieve certain goals in their lives.
0: Well, I mean, you know, that, that's such a great comment. Uh, I love the in the back nine, nine of your life, I don't know about your life, but you may be in your career because you got 25 in. I doubt you're going to do 50. So you know you got to look at that. But you're relatively a young man too, and so uh, you're really still loving what you do. Can you speak to the importance of of uh, passion and the importance of really your purpose in your job? Those playing a role. Can you speak to those for a second? I think my passion for law enforcement is to continue to move us in the right direction.
1: We want to be viewed as professionals and as a profession, yet we don't always act that way because we resist change. Again, handcuffed to history, paralyzed by our past. And other professions are always looking for the next new thing, the next best thing, and law enforcement is very resistant. We're insular and we have to do better. And I think people like me that share the values of trying to move us in the, in the right direction are still needed in law enforcement leadership. And that's why I hang on. I've got a passion for it, Dean, and I cannot visualize the picture of me being retired. I know one day I'll have to go uh, one way or the other. I'm going to leave law enforcement. but. I think we need more passionate leaders who are open to embracing change, and you're still the police when you do that. I'm going to give you a quick example. When I came to Buncombe County, one of the things I asked the deputies to do, because first of all, you know this, law enforcement is not a prior, I'm sorry, traffic enforcement is not a priority of most sheriff's offices. And in fact, I worked at one a long time ago. You didn't stop cars. You can wave at them. But you better not stop them for that, sure. So for us, we stop a lot of cars. And I just asked deputies to give a reason. I'm stopping this car. My my call sign is Unit Two, Unit Two to bunk them. I'm stopping this car because. And you will think I took some, not all, but, but a handful. You would think that I took their ability to stop a car away from them. I think if we want to be transparent and legitimate, what is wrong with walking up to a car? saying, I'm Officer Dean Smith, I'm Officer John Smith, I'm Officer Bill whatever, and I stopped you because. And not only do you do that, but you give it over the radio and that way no one can say, well, he's profiling me, he's just stopping me for no reason. But when you put something like that out in a law enforcement agency, you get pushback from some in the agency because they are so insular and so used to doing things a a certain way and sometimes thinking that if you make changes, somehow you're affecting their ability to do their jobs.
0: Uh, Law enforcement is certainly one of the only professions where if you do just a minor thing, they believe you've changed the entire world on them for sure. It can be a minor thing like that, but to them, they'll take it to the nth degree to believe that it prevents them from doing their job. And that's that's around the country and we see it. I remember enacting similar things, very small things to try to improve what we do. And it's seen as it was viewed as an entire affront to their entire ability to do that job. I get totally where you're coming from from there. But, you know, it takes a lot of courage to do stuff like that. And you said something a minute ago that I would like to add to and I would like for you and I to have created this comment together because I took what you said. And then I added my flavor to it. And what you said was talking about handcuffed to the past or something like that you were talking about. So I'd like to add, and I think this is so true, that if you're handcuffed to your past, you will be paralyzed in your future. And I think that is so freaking true. And, uh, you know, that's full. You made me think of that. And what a great comment was for us to come up and for you to say handcuff to our past, you know, and then I think it results in paralyzing our future. That is so true. And we have got to really find a way to release this dependency on the past, although it does have value and there's things we've proven that are true to be done. We're not talking about getting rid of the whole past, but we're talking about you do have to get an eye towards the future. If you could spend just a minute talking about the 21st century policing report, I know that your sheriff has spent a lot of, uh, or talked a lot of times about those six pillars. And is there anything you want to tell the audience out there about some of the things you're doing uh, in, in talking about the 21st century report and the 21st century philosophy? Well, I can say that the sheriff
1: since I've been here has been very, very active and forward thinking in regards to these these principles. Uh, we have improved technology. We're in the uh, final stages of getting ready to launch a Fucius system, which is I'm sure you've heard of that. Uh, that's a a video system that we use countywide to monitor certain areas. And we can respond very quickly to that. Uh, and it's a big deal to the sheriff. And it should be because it shows that he's committed to 21st century policing philosophies and technology. Again, the transparency that we're trying to implement, uh, just, just some of the things like giving a reason for stopping a car, uh, just just being as, as transparent as we possibly can, really bodes well for what this sheriff is trying to do in Buncombe County and he was elected on these promises. And he's keeping these, you know, promises, promises kept promises made on his part. So, uh, and 21st century policing is not something that we thought of or the sheriff thought of or, or you thought of. These are very experienced, educated people who sat down with folks and they looked at law enforcement through a different window and came up with these principles and highly recommended that law enforcement embrace them. Now, there is some resistance from from some agencies in some parts of the country, but in Buncombe County at the Sheriff's Office, Sheriff Miller has embraced them, and he's become a forerunner in implementing some of the things that that's recommended by the committee on 21st Century Policing.
0: Yeah, and that committee was... Um... Put together because of the Ferguson incident in 2015, President Obama put that together. in was head by Ramsey, a former commissioner of Philadelphia, and we talked about some of the pillars. And you talked about transparency. There's community policing. There's training. There's technology. There's procedural justice. You know, some of those are all those pillars of the 21st century policing report. And I think it's it's a great guide. It's a great. Uh, kind of strategic plan, if you will, on moving us to the to the future. So, you know what, uh, Herbert, what, what a great time I've had on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to give you a second here to wrap up some of your comments on uh, what you want to say about leadership, and then we'll uh, wrap up the podcast. But what a great podcast. And, you know, I always judge podcasts by the notes that I take and the value that you add to me. And you've certainly... Given me uh, two full pages of notes here of things you've said that have made a lot of sense to me. So uh, you've added value to me and I know you've added value to the folks out there. So just uh, I'll give you the last word here and then we'll wrap it up.
1: Thank you, sir. And I do appreciate you reaching out to me and having me on your podcast. And I'll say these things in closing. You know, we talked about crisis and some of the things. Other agencies are going through. I've learned as police chief over 20 years that uh, be careful, don't laugh at your colleagues, because I can promise you, you you're you either on the verge of having your own crisis, you're in the middle of one, or you just got through with one. So always remember that when you see your colleagues going through a difficult time, support them and understand that you are not immune, your day is going to come. And I would say this. Look for, and people you lead and elevate, look for humility, look for empathy, look for authenticity, look for people who are respectful and people you can trust. Uh, that's what I look for. If I'm interviewing for a job, I ask that city manager or that administrator about his traits and qualities, uh, because who you are is who you're going to attract. And I, I look for that. And I'll say this and I'll end with something you said to me. And I'll never forget it. When you're around people, one or two things happen. You either become them or they become you. So be careful who you surround yourself with. You don't want to be around bitter people because you may very well become bitter. So I I remember that uh, something you said and you've said it many times. Either they become you or you become them.
0: Herbert, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. And like I said, man, thank you for adding value to me today. And I know you added value to our audience. I really do appreciate that. Remember that, folks, you're either in a crisis or in the middle of one, either you coming out of one or on the verge of one. And that's so true. Uh, excellent, uh, Herbert. Thank you so much. Folks, thank you, Herbert, again. Appreciate you. Thanks, everybody who's helped to boost this podcast. And as we always say, until next time, I'm Dean Crisp. Thank you for listening to Straight Talk on Leadership with Dean Crisp. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can go to www.lhln.org to find upcoming classes where you can book Dean for his new class. And you can also check out his new book, Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.